All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Gosh, you know, I do a lot of business talk on this show. We talk about a lot of things, sales, leadership, marketing, uh, innovation, a lot, a lot of subject matter. We don't talk enough about teams. And I think this is uh, it's unfortunate, and I'm really excited about today's conversation. It promises to be a very interesting conversation. I got a, a whole crew of guests on the show today who put out a book that uh, I think is going to be a very, very important read in modern business. So I'm joined today by Derek Newberry, Mario Musa, and Madeline Boyer. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for making time to join all three of you. Thanks for uh, the economic output for wherever you guys are is going to decline by a significant percentage since all three of you are spending time on the show. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, the new book is Committed Teams, Three Steps to Inspiring Passion and Performance. Uh, like I said, um, uh, really, really mission-critical conversation because, as we all know, there's a lot of teams out there that are not performing and not doing what they need to be doing. So, uh, But I am going to ask this question, and, and don't take offense. I always ask some variation of this question to to a guest on my show when they've written a book on a, on a relatively popular subject where there's a lot of thought leadership out there on. But why did the world need another book on how to how to improve teamwork? Walk me through why why you guys had to put this book out. Yeah, uh, this is Mario. Uh, what we what we've done for the past four years is to work with groups of executives who come to Philadelphia from all over the world. And in our program at Wharton, the Executive Development Program, they spend two weeks in an immersive experience. They form into teams. They compete with each other in a simulated industry. It's a very intense environment. And so we've had the opportunity to observe over 100 teams in that environment competing with each other in in over 100 simulated years. And the point is we have a tremendous amount of data, tremendous amount of observations, and that's led us to some conclusions about how high-performing teams work. And that environment, which is kind of a living laboratory, has given us the opportunity to distill success factors down to a few simple things that can be applied, applied in virtually any environment where people need to work together. Any other comments there? Sure. One thing I would say, so lots of great books on teams out there, and and some of them have been inspiration for our own work. But one thing we think that's missing is a lot of times when we approach teams, we think it's a once-and-done process. So you go through the storming, norming, forming, you ramp up the team, you've got a great group that's clicking, and all of a sudden you're done. 
The one thing we've seen over and over in our own research at Wharton and in real-world business cases is that even the most high-performing teams can get out of alignment, and we can talk about why that is. But so our unique perspective is that teamwork is an ongoing process. It's never done. You're always teaming. It's iterative. And so our process is all about continually having the conversations, reflecting, and closing the gap between what you say your team wants to do and what it actually does. And I think that's a really unique approach. But isn't that the whole point is that, look, when you have a team, you're what, what, the people who make up those teams are humans and we're flawed and we have eccentricities about us. And so that, that's the whole point, I think, of your framework, which we'll get into in depth in a second. But I think the point here is there's no team that's going to be perfect from beginning to end ever. There's always going to be evolutions in the environment around you. There's going to be business changes. There's going to be there's all kinds of things that are that are that are going to inject themselves in that process. And so a, a functional team is one that can a, learn to adapt. Right. I mean, that's the key, I think, lesson of the book is, is is, look, things are going to happen. They're going to add complexity to this team's goals. You have to understand what to do to, to evolve with that, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that the key learning here? I think so. And, and just to pull from one thing you said, that the environment is always changing. Team members aren't existing in a vacuum. They have a lot of different priorities in their life, whether it's different teams within their organization that they're on, different personal priorities, career, things at home. And so what the successful team does is make sure that it's consistently checking in to make sure that everyone's still on the same page, everyone's priorities are aligned, and that they're able to adapt with that changing environment. All right. Well, Mario mentioned that you have a lot of data. Uh, you've observed a lot of teams at work. So, so what are the, the, the two or three most common reasons that a team struggles and underperforms? Yeah, well, we've identified five, five or six common mistakes that teams make. But just to pick out two or three of them, one would be not focusing on right rules or making too many rules for, uh, for guiding their, their work. So we find high-performing teams focus on two or three things like not interrupting each other or coming prepared or being on, on time. Another common mistake that, that we've identified is that teams that don't reach their potential often are too reliant on one person. We call that you know, the great leader, mm-hmm. the, the great leader mistake. And then a third mistake that we see that's pretty common is thinking that just having a really good idea is, is enough. What we found is it's important to take the time to make sure that everybody's behind an idea or a way of working. When that's the case, everyone is, is in, engaged. So those are just three examples, and we could add a couple more if you're interested. Yeah, I think uh, another one, Todd, uh, this is Derek, another one is abstract goals. You know, teams and in organizations in general, we tend to think that to be a good leader, to be a good team leader, the most important thing is to have a really strong, compelling vision. We're not saying that's important, but where we think a lot of teams fall down is they don't get into the real specifics. So uh, an example of that is, you know, we often point to JFK and the vision he had of putting a man on the moon. Really inspiring vision, but if you dig into the history of it, to actually get that done took a lot of political work behind the scenes, a lot of intermediate goal setting, and we think that's important to consider on teams as well. A lofty vision is really important, but you have to be able to set really specific behaviors and expectations to actually get things done and be high-performing. 
Boy, you thinking about the, the the moonshot is a great example of. I mean, I, there's 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 so much conversation around because landing physically landing a man on the moon was impressive, I, but knowing how our federal government works. To to have actually achieved that, and knowing what had to happen, and the people they had to recruit, and the departments they had to invent, and the technology they had to invent, it's amazing that it happened, and that's that's why I think that's the true power and the magic of that whole story. A great example. So, all right, I, I, I want to get into the, to the, the to the three by three framework before we go to break. Why don't why don't one of you speak up and kind of give the overview of exactly what that looks like, and in the back end of the show, we'll dive into the details. Yeah. So 3 by 3 the 3 by 3 stands for three foundations and three steps. The three foundations are shared goals, roles, and norms. And the three steps are commit, check, and close. So the idea is that we know that high-performing teams have a shared point of view about goals, roles, and norms. And then periodically they step back as they're doing their work and they check to make sure that they're still committed to those three foundations. And when they find that there's a, a gap between what they're actually doing and what they say they want to do, they work to close that gap. And one of the things that, that we found about the saying doing gap is it's almost inevitably the case that teams suffer from that gap and high-performing teams are always working to close it. Got it. When I first was reading about 3 by 3 I understood goals, I understood roles. I wasn't at first understanding what norms was, so clarify that for me, please. Sure. Norms are basically the rules for how we're going to collaborate. Ah. So things like, you know, uh, when do we start meetings? Who speaks first? How do we make decisions? And we find that this is really critical to getting teams to work. So just one example of that, um, remember, I'm sure uh, you and your listeners are, are familiar with the uh, popular TV show, The Shield, we're all fans here, but we remember seeing a story about the head writer of that show. His writing team had a, had a mix of genders, a lot of men, some, some, some female writers, and he noticed at a certain point in the meetings that he really wanted, he had these talented female writers and they weren't contributing very much. And so we pulled him aside uh, after meeting and said, you know, why aren't you giving your thoughts here? We really need your input. And the women said, you know, next time we try to do that, watch what happens. And so next meeting, head writer sits back and watches. And he notices that every time one of the women has an idea, one of the men in the room cuts them off and, and runs with the idea and basically takes credit for it or totally shuts them down before they can, they can get the idea out. So writer didn't want to make it a big gender issue on the team, but what he decided to do was to create a new rule that was nobody interrupts anyone else. We all let each other get our ideas out before we comment or criticize. And what that did was really uh, increase productivity on the team. It created an environment where everyone, not, not just the female writers, felt comfortable speaking up. So that's an example of a norm, a really specific rule for how a team's going to work together, and we find that high-performing teams are the ones that focus on the few norms, the few rules that really matter. And to expand on that, we find that the three kind of general topics uh, where rules are really important are around decision-making, how you're going to share information, and what you're going to do when you come across conflict. Mm. I now realize that virtually every team I've been on had no damn rules. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now I understand. Now I understand. All right. Derek, Mario, Madeline, and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. Golden Source Consultants is a different kind of management consulting firm. Like their logo, The Lion. 
The firm represents the courage and ability to overcome difficulties. Once and for all, GSC is dedicated to helping clients solve critical challenges, tackling organizational change and business transformation with turnkey solutions and agile project cycles. The lasting value of their work is seen and felt in their clients' ability to sustain improvement and meet business objectives long after the project is complete. Join Golden Source in their fresh approach to problem solving by contacting them at 404-692-5540 or learn more about them online at goldensourceconsultants.com. All right, I am back with Derek Newberry, Mario Musa, and Madeline Boyer. All right, so guys, right before the break, we talked about the three foundations to the 3x3 plan, the goals, roles, and norms. I suspect another common observation that you made was a team did achieve one or two of those, but not the other. This seems to me that for a team to fully function, to achieve its, its potential and really put out a good product and achieve its goals... It has to. It has to nail all three of those. Am, am I right on that assumption? Yeah, it's a good idea. You know, nailing. Um, we're not sure that any team ever quite nails all three foundations, but you certainly have to pay attention to all of them and always be working on achieving alignment because it's just so easy uh, to get out of sync with each other. And that's where the rest of the framework comes into play. Well, and that's where I'm going next. So so the, the three foundations are exactly what they are, the foundation. And without those, or as you said, without putting some serious thought into it, you really can't proceed. Now, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the three steps, the commit, check, and close, if I have those right, that, that speaks to what we were talking about at the top half of the show of how you evolve with changes and how you deal with problems that, that, as, as they come up, right? Am I understanding that? Walk us through that, that part of the framework. Yeah. Well, I think you know, our basic insight that uh, comes out of the, the field research that we did and also our, our consulting work is that good working relationships are the foundation of, of teamwork. It's those good working relationships that allow you to communicate effectively also, good working relationships make people feel comfortable, and, and we found that one of the biggest barriers to teamwork is people just don't speak their minds because they feel like the environment's too risky. So when you establish those good working relationships, people speak up, they feel safe, they share information, and that's what's really key to closing the, that gap between what you hope to achieve and, and what you're actually achieving. And we like to say that, that being a really good teammate, being a really good team leader is like being involved in a, in a committed relationship. It, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. And you know, just as in a marriage, if, if you don't pay attention to it, it's not going to go so well. Same point applies to teamwork. Any additional comments there, guys? Yeah, I would say, so one example of that that we came across in our own consulting work, um, we recently did some team building with the top team of a financial services firm in New York that grew from just a, a group of 20 people in a room to now being a really successful company. They've IPO'd, they've got some four, four or 500 employees doing really well. And But the team realized that now that they're not just 20 people talking to each other, they have to act completely differently. And their behaviors have changed in ways that they, that they didn't want. So uh, Mario was talking about how good teams are like uh, being in a good, committed relationship. Well, it works the same way with the mistakes we made. 
So one thing that had happened as their company had grown, people would start doing things like pulling out cell phones in the middle of meetings. Now, any of us who are in any kind of a committed relationship, you know that that's a classic mistake to make. You're sitting around the dinner table trying to spend time with your significant other, maybe your kids, and you pull out the cell phone and start browsing the Internet or start checking emails. You're on a project, whatever the case is. And, uh, you know, that's a classic mistake people make in relationships, and it happens in working relationships. This team had started doing the same thing, and they realized that they need to, needed to reconsider their norms. And one of the rules they came up with is, hey, no phones at important meetings anymore. Hmm. That's hard in the modern world. <laughs> but boy, how, how effective is that? I mean, just imagine how the dynamic of a... Because, you know, I, I'm looking at 300 office buildings out my window right now. And I can tell you there's probably meetings going on in most of those windows. And I can tell you half the people in those meetings are looking at their phone right now. I mean, you just, we know what's happening. I mean, that's just the way it is. For the benefit of the audience... What do you actually mean by commit, check, and close? Give, give us the, 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 the idea behind those words. Yeah, so commit really is the first step, and what it involves is having a discussion and having a, a really good exchange about what you want to get, uh, what you want to accomplish, how you're going to coordinate with, with each other, and how you're going to share information, make decisions, and, and resolve conflicts. And, you know, we like to say that uh, conversation is one of your, your most important tools when it comes to teamwork. So if you can have a, a really good open discussion about those commitments, it's a little bit more likely that you're a- actually going to align your behaviors with them. But that's always a challenge, and, and that leads to the second step, which has to do with checking. So just like a ship navigating the seas, you have to make course corrections over time. The environment will push you and your team members in different directions. And so critical to the three by three framework is this this step of checking. That you just need to be able to take time to step back and see where we are, how far we've diverged from where we want to be, and where are potential misalignments in the environment. And Understanding those misalignments is what can help you move forward towards the third step. <laughs> so like a true team, we're tag teaming this response. But, um, and then, yeah, that leads to the third step, so closing the thing, doing gaps. So this is another mistake we, we see on teams all the time in our own research and consulting that, okay, they've had a great conversation, they've noticed they're off track, and they've said we need to commit to real change. Well, that's great, but if you don't get really specific about the changes you need to make, then they're not going to be successful. So successful teams are really good at closing that, what we call the saying doing gap, and we have a model for that. We call that this the STAR model. Um, it's a framework for effective behavioral change, and STAR stands for be specific about the change you want to make, that's the S, take small steps, alter the environment, and be a realistic optimist. And basically that, what that's all about is identify really specific behavioral changes that will get your team to the place it wants to be, to get, get it toward the place of fulfilling the goals you identified. Be realistic about not trying to do too much at once and also alter the environment. Create the, do, do what you need to do in the workspace, create commitments to each other as a team, support each other in a way that will help each person make the behavioral changes they're looking for. And being realistic, just know that making changes on teams is really hard and that you have to have a plan for what you'll do differently if you experience setbacks. And so that's the the third step. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. So let me 
ask, this is a little bit off script, because this, I think, is a bigger problem than most people realize. I understand that if there's an assembled team, so I walk into a conference room and there's 10 people and they're an assigned team and they're said, you need to achieve X, go. I understand how you could take the three by three framework and apply it to that team and begin to, to, to build a team that's actually going to have a chance of succeeding at achieving their goal. But how much thought needs to go into the assemblage of that team? I mean, I, 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 how many, how many management teams out there say, all right, well, why don't we pick Susie, Bill, James, Sam, and Biff, throw them in the room and make them, make them do that. I mean, and they end up being all introverts, which is going to be a really boring meeting. How, how, what, what work needs to be done in terms of actually thinking through assembling the right team, let alone applying the framework to it? That's a huge issue for teams, particularly we talk about this in the context of committees where people are appointed to teams, that people need to pay attention to who has the bandwidth, you know, who can actually commit to these goals, who, who has room in their schedule to be able to work on this project, what types of styles will be working well together, who has the expertise. These are critical factors when you are have the luxury of assembling a team as opposed to a team that's sort of already in play, but I think it's definitely a place where, where managers and, and leaders don't spend enough time on the front end and can have a really huge payout over time if, if they take that time to think through who they want working on what projects. And Todd, this is Mario. You know, what, what I would add to what Maddie said is, you know, in the ideal world, you would want people on the team who have the right kind of expertise who have diverse styles, who are all committed to, to working on a particular task. But often, often it's the case in the real world that people get assigned to teams, as Maddie was saying, or they're stressed or their attention is, is divided. And we found that it's really important to, to pay attention to those situational factors that often get in the way of team performance. It just rarely happens that the, the conditions are ideal. And in a way, that's our starting point. And, you know, we've seen again and again and again that it's really important to pay attention to those, those situational factors that get in the way of performance because, you know, in the real world, you have to deal with them all the time. And we think that the, the three-by-three framework is useful because it is so simple. So even when you don't have a lot of time, even when you're tired, even when you have to, in some ways, multitask, you can remember the three-by-three, and it can help you get back on track. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, let me let you in on a little secret as to the real reason I do this podcast is for the free consulting that I get. So So let me ask you about my team. Now, I am based in Chicago. I have a teammate based in Atlanta, Georgia. I have one based in Mobile, Alabama, and one in Laguna Beach, California. So my team is entirely virtual, a growing phenomenon in business. So most, many, many more teams are virtual these days. I, I obviously can apply the three by three framework to a, even to a virtual team, but are there any other considerations that virtual teams ought to be thinking about to make them successful? Definitely. With respect to virtual teams, what is really critical is to sort of magnify the three C's. So you really need to build trust early and have really clear, explicit protocols and processes for your communication. 
when you're in an office together, it's really easy to sort of just check in and, and, and make connections at the water cooler, at the coffee pot, um, and you don't really get those opportunities when you're working virtually. So you have to be really deliberate about creating those opportunities. So one of the things we talk about is creating a virtual water cooler. And one of the ways you can do that is via chat app or, you know, dedicated email threads to just funny things or just sharing things about yourself that are a little bit more social and creating a third space. And when we talk about third space, that's a space between sort of the home and personal and strictly, you know, your home life and strictly the work life. It's this sort of in-between space where you're able to connect with your colleagues in a more personal way to help build that trust. And trust is just so critical to virtual teams, both feeling like you can trust other people to execute and also feeling like others trust you to execute. So to achieve that, be really clear about how you want to communicate. How often are you going to be expected to reply to emails? Do you want to be contacted by phone or text? When is off-limits for you sending me messages because I have family time? So with a virtual team, you have to be much more explicit about things like that. And then you also have to be explicit about check-ins. So when you can't just pop into Susie's office and ask her how that report's coming, anxiety can build very rapidly on a virtual team because they don't know where you're at in the project and they don't want to feel like they're pestering you. So to be a good virtual team member, you need to be updating your team much more frequently than you would even think is appropriate at times because you're virtual. And so building trust, being explicit about communication, and checking in really frequently are ways that, that virtual teams are able to be much more successful. And Todd, if I could, I'd like to just pull back a little bit here because what you're dealing with on your team, you're absolutely not alone. We see this over and over with the folks we work with at Wharton, and that exact issue of being more remote, having to work further apart more independently, we think that's part of a new set of trends that are creating what we like to think of as a new world of work. And we describe that world of work in four ways as being flatter, looser, wider, and faster. So flatter, meaning organizational hierarchies are tending to flatten out as companies are looking to be more nimble. Looser, we're less and less expecting to stay under one organizational umbrella for a long period of time. We're moving jobs more frequently. We're work working more flexibly. Wider, so this is exactly what you talked about with your team. You've got somebody in one part of the country. You're up in Chicago. We see teams working more remotely, more virtually, and faster. The pace of work is just speeding up. And so all of the things we're talking about here, these aren't just one-off tools uh, for one team, a product development team, one top team. We think this is really a toolbox for helping people navigate this new world of work that's affecting all of us. Mm, yeah. And let me just say, Madeline, you, you <laughs> I think you were speaking about my team specifically. Holy smokes. We have a lot of work to do, obviously. Well, guys, I'm looking at my notes here, and I have like 40 different questions I want to ask, and so I'm going to check it out. And what I'm going to ask, I'm going to do a little lightning round here. And so I'm going to close the show by asking each of you individually to just share one final thought that you want to leave with the audience about something they ought to be thinking about as they process this conversation and dive into the book. So I'll start with you, Derek. Final thought for the audience. I would say one thing is that, you know, we say that teams inevitably underperform. It's not because you've got people on your team that are looking to slack off or, or they're necessarily disengaged. One thing we find is that people often in teams exhibit a quality we call social loafing, which is that the more and more people you add to a team, the less and less effort each person exerts 
but they often don't realize they're doing it. So we're, we're talking about as a way to keep having conversations to make sure everyone is really giving their all. Mario? I would say remember that the soft stuff is the hard stuff. And what I mean by the soft stuff is relationships. Relationships matter, and they, they matter a lot when it, becomes, when it comes to team performance. You know, so trust, good commit communication, those soft factors contribute to peak performance. So the, the best teams build their foundation on good working relationships, and they're the teams who deliver the hard results. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that, Mario. I mean, obviously, uh, if you were listening closely to our entire dialogue, the, the whole foundation behind this is good relationships, but we didn't address it specifically, so thanks for mentioning that. And Madeline. So one of our favorite quotes comes from the great philosopher Yogi Berra, <laughs> and he would say that you can see a lot by looking, and I think that's what's really important to our framework and what we think is really important to the performance on teams is that if you just take the time to look and observe and reflect on what your team's doing and what you want to get done, you'll be able to close that gap between saying and doing. All right. Great stuff. We always learn an awful lot from Yogi, no doubt about it. All right, guys, we're now out of time. As I suspected, uh, we barely scratched the surface. I hope we, uh, our paths will cross again. We'll get a chance to continue talking about these very, very important issues because we also understand that without good teamwork, most business really struggles. So uh, appreciate you making the time to do this. Appreciate you producing this important work. Before I let you guys go, uh, one of you offer up how to contact all of you. Should anyone have questions and where's the best place to get a copy of Committed Teams? Committed Teams is available online at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and also available in bookstores across the country. You can get in touch with us at committedteams at percipientpartners.com. And our Twitter handle is Committed Team, so you can look, up, look us up on Twitter, start a conversation with us. We're always happy to chat. Outstanding. Derek Newberry, Mario Musa, and Madeline Boyer, the co-authors of Committed Teams, Three Steps to Inspiring Passion and Performance. Derek, Mario, Madeline, it was great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for Thank you. Us. Thanks. All right. It's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guests, Derek Newberry, Mario Musa, and Madeline Boyer, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. 